A reading from Matthew. Six days after Peter had acknowledged Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus took, Peter, or Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And as he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white, suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make, a three, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My sermon tonight is one that's really about two readings. It's about the Old Testament, and it's about the New Testament. It's about before and it's about after Jesus. It's about the law on one hand and the gospel on the other. It's a tale of two mountains. On one mountain, Moses is given the law, and on the other mountain, the apostles are given Jesus. Robbie just read us a passage from Matthew that tells us about the second mountain, but in order to see the whole picture, I think this is one of those readings where you really have to look at both of the readings. So if you'll forgive me, I'm going to go ahead and read this reading from Exodus chapter 24. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This first reading, which is actually, I guess, the second reading I've read to you tonight, is from Exodus, and it's that familiar scene of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments from God himself up on top of Mount Sinai. If I hadn't just read it aloud and been reading it to myself over the past couple of days, my memory of it would be pretty pedestrian and mundane, I'm assuming like many of yours. It, in my mind is this really simple and straightforward story of Moses going up on a mountain, getting a couple of tablets, and then Sunday school children all over the world getting busy at work memorizing some ten rules. When I was in Sunday school, we had to take home memory verses like this every week, and if we wanted to receive 
a Dunkin' Donuts donut hole at the beginning of next week's class, we had to recite our memory verse out loud for everyone to hear. This was more than a bit cruel, if you ask me. It was far more law than grace. So after a few weeks of embarrassing, really embarrassing failures, I finally simply gave up trying. I figured I could just go home and steal some donuts out of the cupboard or steal some brown sugar when my mom wasn't looking. So why bother with the Ten Commandments at all? Looking back, the irony of that decision is uh, pretty sweet. Um, But if we pay a little bit closer attention to this Exodus passage, then we see that the scene with Moses going up on top of a mountain, it's far more intense and it's far more frightening and far more memorable than most of us remember. Moses stands at the peak of Mount Sinai all by himself for days with a thick smoke surrounding him and a devouring fire burning down upon him. This is meant to be terrifying, and it is terrifying. Because this is what it looks like, like darkness and like fire, when one comes face to face with God and all they have is the law. When all they have in the way of help his commandments. As Jason Isbell sings in his new single, we've been testing you and you failed. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Too much of life is governed by fear, I think, but we don't always know exactly where this fear is coming from. I think so much of the fear that governs our life is a fear of failure. Because if all we know is judgment and there's no mercy and there's no grace, then all of life turns into some sort of a performance with only two possible outcomes, success or failure. And the sad thing is that even when we succeed sometimes, it can be bittersweet. Because often it doesn't seem or it doesn't feel like the world or even the people closest to us like us very much. They just like what we can do. They like it when we perform well or when we produce well or we're nice and thoughtful. Maybe they like us when we act kindly, when we get good grades or we lose some weight or we get a nice haircut or when we have a nice job or when we give good gifts or when we're really good at basketball. They like us when we're up to date on the news. They like us when we know the right people or we know the right restaurants, but sometimes it doesn't seem or it's even blatantly obvious to us that we aren't liked for just being us. Sins, warts, mistakes, and all. When all we have is the law, when all we have is commandments for what we should do and for what we shouldn't do, then all we experience is judgment. However good or bad or just that judgment might be. And when all we have is judgment, then all of our relationships become an exchange between the judge and the performer. When all we have is the law, there's no place for vulnerability, for creativity, or for compassion, or for empathy. There's no place for grace. And when there's no place for grace, fear and trembling is the only reasonable response. A few months ago, the show Radiolab put out an episode called The Right to be Forgotten. On the show, they follow the editorial staff of the Cleveland Plain Dealer newspaper, who in this age in which, as we like to say, the internet simply doesn't forget, they found themselves fielding petitions from people who've paid their dues to society and have had 
their criminal records expunged, but they're still facing the judgment of the internet that's kept a record of their crimes in its database of news articles. And the people in the story, this editorial staff, they're tasked with deciding whether or not the public shaming of these people has more value to society, to potential employers Googling job applicants to find out their past history, or if the shame is causing greater harm to the person whose absolute worst moment has been recorded and cemented online forever. It's a powerful example and reminder, I think, of what life looks like without mercy as an option. The editorial staff says themselves that forgiveness isn't even part of the conversation. They're just trying to determine what is the most just path forward. And they do a really great job of looking at all the various different angles. But here's why I bring this up. In part of the story, they interview an Oxford professor of internet governance, which is a real thing, who makes this profound and horrifying, I think, observation. He says, We don't know how to willingly disregard memories of our past or someone else's past. And we don't know how to forgive if and when we remember. And so as we become a remembering society via internet archiving, we become an unforgiving society. It seems that left to our own devices with judgment as our only option, the only way to be forgiven is to be forgotten. But here is where we can start to see the beauty of grace, the beauty of the gospel. Because God can look at our scars and not destroy the memory of us. God can look at us without destroying the truth of who we truly are and still forgive us, still love us as we are. The grace of Jesus Christ shines a light of truth upon us all and says, fear not, you will not be forgotten and you've already been forgiven. This tale of Moses and the Ten Commandments is very different than our second mountaintop experience that I read from Matthew of Jesus with Peter and James and John when they go up on the mountaintop in the transfiguration story where it appears that as light streams out into the world from the very being of Jesus, there's no place too frightening on that mountaintop for grace to exist. These two readings are connected. Matthew writes that Moses appeared with Elijah on the second mountaintop, representing the law himself. And there's no doubt that once again, fear was a companion of the apostles as they journeyed up a mountain and came face to face with the glory of God, just as it was for Moses in Exodus. But while Moses, in the midst of his fear of judgment and failure, while he was given the law, while he was given the Ten Commandments to guide and to comfort him, the apostles on the second mountain, in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their lives full of judgment and uncertainty, what they received was grace. What they received was God Himself in Jesus Christ. When they heard the booming voice of God, Matthew writes, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up. Don't be afraid. 
And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself. The first mountaintop experience in Exodus is terrifying, and it leaves you full of fear. This is what life feels like when we experience the law on its own. When we experience judgment, we want to run, we want to curl up in the fetal position and hide because none of us, not one of us can stand blameless or fearlessly before the judgment of the law. But when you experience the glory and the light of mercy and forgiveness just like the apostles did, you won't ever want to leave. With fear coursing through the air, Jesus says, Fear not, for I am with you. Get up. Keep living. Fear not the judgment of the law because judgment is not all there is. There's also forgiveness. Fear not because where you expect condemnation, I have brought mercy. In our house over the past couple of years, it seems like all we watch is reruns of that great show, Parenthood. As we try to manage our own fears, stumbling through our first few years of parenting, this show honestly brings me to tears just about every single time I watch it with these characters going through the ups and downs of life and coming up against some really dark and challenging things and receiving grace. In one of the Christmas episodes, Adam is in a panic in the hospital with his wife, Christina, because she's going through chemo treatments, but in this episode, she has gone into a septic shock, and it's a really scary and obviously dangerous situation. An addict's stoic and stubborn father, Zeke, who represents the law to Adam, shows up in the hospital in a moment of chaos as the medical staff are dealing with Christina, expecting instruction and opinions from his father. Adam can't stand his father standing there for one more second. His dad says, Adam, I really just want to help. Well, dad, you're not helping, okay? So just leave. But as Adam is left alone to face his fears of his wife potentially dying, Zeke, his dad, comes back to the hospital later that day. And instead of advice, he looks at him and calmly says, Adam, I brought you your computer. And I brought you some clothes. You know, stuff you might need. And I made you a sandwich. Still like ham and cheese? Your favorite, right? And Zeke begins to walk away, and Adam stops him and says, Dad, could you just stay with me a little bit longer? And then they hug, and they cry, and then of course you cry. The tale of these two mountains doesn't end at the transfiguration with Jesus and with the apostles, with Jesus telling them not to fear. Of course, this story ends on a third mountain, on Golgotha, where Jesus felt the full weight of the judgment of Rome and of his own people. On this third mountaintop, upon the cross, 
Jesus gave himself to us all. And through the sacrifice of his body and blood, his perfect love for us all, once and for all, cast out all fear that we might face judgment and judgment alone. Never again will we face the smoke and devouring fire of the law alone. Never again will we face judgment without the promise of His mercy, without the unmerited gift of God's grace and presence, saying to us, get up. Don't be afraid. You may be judged, but I've already been judged for you. You may be afraid, but I am with you. And wherever I go, surely my mercy and goodness will follow. Today we live our lives under the cool shade of this third mountain, under the shadow of the cross. Never alone. And never, never without grace. Amen.